Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts, joined by BC. It is the British Open Thursday, and it's still the dead period. Gentlemen, how are you? They uh they prefer it if you just call it the Open Championship, right? Don't they get a little they get a little uh, out of sorts if you call it the British Open, right? We won a war, so I don't have to care what they think. Two of them. Yes. Also, eighteen twelve. Yep. Just like validating it. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate. It's like that. the extra three pointer at the end of a game. To... Do you do you feel like the War of eighteen twelve is a little underrated in terms of people never really bring it up? I feel like it gets referenced here and there. I don't think a lot of people really know what they're referencing. But would you say that the War of eighteen twelve <laughs> is the Wisconsin of wars? Just not enough respect for the the physicality involved. Yes, and the longevity of which it provided to both college football and to America. Yes. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. That's all. We, I I got nothing else. That that was as far as my take went. That was. The, the War of 1812 was the Wisconsin of wars. Isn't the War of 1812 what gave us the, the Star-Spangled Banner? Is Alex Hornibrook the Francis Scott Key of his generation? He could be, yes. Efficient. You know, does okay against Miami. Long-lasting <laughs> legacy. Yes. I don't know where to go with Alex Hornibrook <laughs> and the anthem. All right, well, we'll get out of the War of 1812 talk and Wisconsin talk and Move into uh, to Nebraska dead period talk. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds exciting, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you guys want to follow that up? I used everything I had. War of 1812 was that, supposed that to was be the 12 ba- minutes. That was the extent of your banter? Yeah, it was going to be 12 minutes long, and that would move us into the next thing, but you killed well, it. Well, you know it's a slow period around here when, like yesterday, there's a freak show about... <laughs> Ron Brown Jeez, coming back to strong. be the director of player personnel, um, which I just was like, oh, that's interesting. And I kind of, you know, I was like, I'll, I'll write a story on that. And some people had a lot more emotional reactions to you, it. You check back a couple hours later on social media and Twitter is just like on fire. Husker Twitter is flaming all down the block. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the interesting part about that whole thing that came out today is that Ron Brown is going to be making 180k, and James Rogers, who did that job last year, was making it right around 50,000. So, yeah. people in the current administration have gotten paid. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no doubt about the, the level of money going out the door for those involved under the the Frost administration. But that was part of the deal. I mean, you hired a guy. To a program that went four and eight, probably a year earlier than he expected to leave UCF, and if he wants Ron Brown involved, then Ron Brown's going to get paid for a job in which no one can tell you what James Rogers did. Well, yeah, obviously, you know Scott and Matt Davison. I think both, you know, they were players when Ron Brown was here as a coach, and you know most guys who played when he was a coach have a lot of respect for him, and. Uh, um, Obviously, he's a man who's strong in his beliefs and outspoken on certain subjects, and it's made him both popular and given him criticism. But the people who have been close to him in the program, um, for the most part, I they always have great things to say about him. Um, he's always been good to me uh, as far as, you know, a guy who 
he's a heck of an interview. He, oh yeah. He's one of those guys who after practices as an assistant coach would stand there and get like in a crouch stance, you know, kind of showing you how something is done and talk about it for like 15 or 20 minutes after everybody else has left. Um, so he, he's going to be somebody that, you know, I know there's mixed emotions, but I think a lot of people seem like we're pretty excited that they're getting the band back together, I guess. Yeah, and, and ultimately, I mean, he's not going to be serving as an on-field coach. He's not going to be heavily involved in recruiting outside of on-campus interaction where he's going to be as good as he possibly could be. I mean, you get Ron Brown around parents talking about the value of a Nebraska scholarship and the value of time spent at the University of Nebraska and building men. I mean, that's a very easy role for him to be able to to help out with. Uh, I don't think that this is – the reaction to the move far exceeded what yeah. the outcome of the move is going to be. I mean, Nebraska won't win or lose an extra game this year or any year because of Ron Brown. No fan base gets more into online polls than Nebraska and also, like, staff information in the offseason, like some – whether it be like a position coach or somebody who's like a, I mean, there's not a lot of places I can tell you where people write about like who the grad assistants are or write Like we wrote a feature. I wrote a feature about Dimitri Brim, who's a grad assistant and I enjoyed doing it. He's got a nice story, but there's not a lot of places around the country where people even know who the grad assistant is like one of them, you know, it's just different here. And you're sending analysts out on the road for, with coaching stops and, to meet fans yeah. and stuff like that. It's yeah, Brim unique. spoke in Blair to yeah. fans and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Frank Verducci was out doing the, yeah. the Western Nebraska tour. It's just an interesting – I think sometimes when you cover it day-to-day, you kind of lose sight of the fact that this is not how things are covered a lot of places. I remember when Bo Pelini was the D coordinator at LSU and it was the thinking was he might end up here. I was talking to a newspaper writer who covers LSU – and he had his own stuff to worry about because that was when Les Miles to Michigan was like a hot topic. Mm-hmm. And so the, they didn't, they were kind of worried about the head man. But it was interesting, like, this is a D coordinator. And the guy was kind of like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen there. And I was thinking to myself, like, people would be losing their crap in Nebraska <laughs> if one of the coordinators was maybe going to leave somewhere. And we're talking about an LSU writer. Maybe that's just how that guy handled stuff himself personally but i was kind of struck by the the difference there and how we would react compared to even an sec school about a coaching move yeah uh, it's i mean everybody that gets hired in almost any role on the football staff is examined it's weighed against what alabama and nick saban is doing uh because there's a lot of experts about alabama and the nebraska fan base which is always kind of humorous to me but uh, and, and like I said, I mean, I, I just don't, it's not going to change how the season plays out this year. Um, and, and I agree with you. I, I've enjoyed almost every interaction I've had with Ron Brown in terms of, of talking with him after games or after practices. Uh, maybe one of my all time favorite, uh, coaching explanations ever given to me was Ron Brown explaining how. He was going to treat ball security like it was driving school yeah. and that there was different levels of traffic. And then he would get into to various positions to explain what level of traffic each one was from the calm Sunday drive to, you know, downtown rush hour trying to get out from work. And I mean, it was 
you know, as a as someone whose living is to to write stories, it made it a lot easier when you get that kind of colorful uh, anecdotes and and everything you get out of them. He also had a tendency to reference the uh, the 2010 NFC Championship game and and the Minnesota Vikings too often. Which I don't Did know he, if you noticed that much. I didn't. Notice Every that. time he talked ball security, that would come up. Ah, okay. He would talk about well, the importance. It is a of, fine example. <laughs> it is, but I don't want to be. Rem- and every time there'd be several members that would turn and look at me, and my head would just be <laughs> staring at my shoes in sadness. Yeah. Did he actually so. reference it a lot, or are you just really sensitive about it? Well, both. But he did it at least three or four times one year. You know. I was always struck by the fact that you never really interviewed Ron Brown. You kind of asked a question and then held on. Like that that's kinda how <laughs> that's that's a good topic in and of itself of like Husker assistance where it's like one question and they'll take you around a couple trips around the block. Yeah. Rick Kaczynski. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that's still number one on the power <laughs> rankings. Multiple people have asked a question, gotten the answer, walked away, did two other interviews, came back and then realized he was on the same question. Rick Kaczynski would and I'm not making fun. This is just what he would do, and it was helpful. He would sometimes kind of repeat basically what he had said, you know, for five minutes, and then he'd go back and kind of do it again. And I would listen to the tape the next day, and sometimes his second go-around was a little better. You know, like he kind of perfected what he wanted to say after one trip through it. Like he did a rough draft, basically. And now here's the part you're going to use in the story. It was kind of like the first question was like the matinee, yeah. and then he's like the better version later in the evening i'm trying to think of who else was has been like that i mean ron and rick kaczynski are are definitely at the top but um yeah i don't know as far as just a chatterbox i don't know who i would say is the best quote that's been an assistant coach do you have one do you have somebody the thing about ron though is like he'd been in nebraska for so long that like if you asked him a question about amir abdullah like, there's a good chance he's referencing, like... Roger Craig. Roger Craig or, you know, the way that Lawrence Phillips or somebody ran against K-State in 94 and, like... Ken Clark against Barry Sanders in 88, he yeah. would bring up, yeah, a yeah. lot. Like, he had a, a depth of reference about Nebraska that always kind of, you know, added some some color and a little bit of uh, context to his answers, I th- I, which I always appreciated. Yeah, he definitely added color. There's no. Did you no guys ever get the uh, Phil Elmasian experience? No. When he was the DB's coach? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't he somewhat uh, prickly at times? He could be. He liked, which I can kind of appreciate, he liked a question in the form of a question. He, he, he would say that he wasn't. He was a big fan of the statement, yeah, guys. He, he'd, he'd be like, "That's a statement, not a question." <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> and so you'd have to like reframe it with kind of a question mark at the end. Do you think <laughs> your defensive backs need to turn around better for the ball? Where's he at now? I don't know. Stop number forty-five. He's coached. Yeah. He's trying to coach at every school in the country. I think he was at. Uh, <laughs> it's a hell of a admirable thing to try to do. He didn't. He was like in Louisiana, and then he was at like Massachusetts. I think you see his name pop up, but like Brian said, it's not like it's ever a long period of time. Stats department says the last time he was in college football was 2012, 2013 as a defensive coordinator at UMass after Mm. a stop at Purdue, following a stop at Illinois state, following a stop at Louisiana Monroe. So he's experienced all forms of college football. I mean, there's a guy who's been in 90,000 seat stadiums on big Saturdays and then, 
played probably in front of like 800 people. He uh, There was also a stop in 2014 at Ferrum, which is apparently a Division three school uh, in Virginia with an enrollment of uh, 1,500, so... I'll tell you a guy who was also a favorite from that staff was was Randy, Randy Jordan, Jordan mm-hmm. who once at a Big Red Breakfast, one of my favorite appearances ever. Um, R.I.P. Big Red Breakfast was talking about like a guy from another team, and I think I can say this on the air. I think you've heard this before. Maybe. No, go ahead. Um, he he said, you know, this is kind of an older crowd he's talking to, and he's saying this guy. He's what we would call a mofo. And the whole, you could just, the reaction in the, the buildings, like, what is it? There's like these old ladies, like, what does that mean? You know, um, <laughs> he, he was a, he was a very entertaining guy though. And he was also the guy who stood up front the week, one of the weeks when it was just all going to crap in 2007 and, and took all the bullets. And I really appreciated him for it. We should really do an off season oral history of the big red breakfast. That would be probably good just, you know we spent a lot of time together at those things in the back of a holiday inn we were just Brunson and i are sitting against a wall <laughs> with our legs crossed like 6 30 in the morning on yeah. a friday i watched uh, uh what i assume to be freelance cameramen eat food off of plates at yeah. the end of a uh event you know if you left your roll and it was only a fourth eaten he was gonna finish that roll <laughs> you know that was something. John Papuchis got into it with the fan one time pretty yeah. good. Yeah, I remember that, that livened that one up in a hurry. <laughs> that was good. Barney Cotton was like the fan favorite at those things. He's an Omaha guy. Well, it was just his, like his... His parents came a lot. It was, and, yeah, they, they were there. Yeah. Most of the times that I attended it that he was doing it, uh, they would go out of their way to serve breakfast burritos because that was Barney Cotton's favorite food. Uh, so he was is like you know seeing the small town mayor that everybody likes when he went into the room. Yeah. Uh, you know, versus generally his treatment in almost every other facet of Nebraska football. On the online Husker world, it wasn't his friend. <laughs> he was not the mayor there. He was absolutely not. He was a pop- popular with the brunch crowd, though. Yeah, very popular. Very popular. So we're almost out of the woods of the dead period. We're super, super close. You guys will soon be uh, gallivanting off to Chicago for... Average pizza and Big Ten media days. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> we haven't game planned as to if we're if we're going to go get deep dish yet or not. Hasn't been decided. Should we preview Big Ten media days a little bit? Does it deserve to be previewed? Well, we know there's well, going to be three people uh, speaking as Nebraska players and one speaking as a Nebraska coach. Those individuals are Scott Frost as a coach. Not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Gerald Foster. Yes. Surprise or not a surprise? Do you think that he shows up with a cartoon character shirt underneath a sport no. coat? I think he. <laughs> Damn it! I think he wears a suit and a tie. Damn it! With no Angry Birds, no Kirby or Kirby. Yeah, uh, X Men was another one that he would wear a lot. Batman. Batman. Mm-hmm. He had, a, and it wasn't like New Age Batman. It was like old gray suit Batman, yes. gray yes. and blue Batman. Big difference between those two. People forget that. Will there actually be buzz around Nebraska this year, which has been sorely lacking since basically Nebraska entered the Big Ten and its players showed up in polos and (laughs) khaki pants and then immediately bought suits the next day? There'll be a fair amount of buzz. How much buzz? 
considerable, palpable. <laughs> it's not going to be palpable. It won't be. It won't be palpable. No, I mean when you have what Franklin's going at the same time. So so here's your here's your crew for that first day. You tell me where Scott Frost measures up with that crew from a national point of view. Ready? Yes. It's Scott Frost followed by Pat Fitzgerald, followed by James Franklin, followed by Jeff Brom. Let's play football. PJ Fleck, Chris Ash. And Jim Harbaugh. I can tell you where Chris Ash is real quick. Yeah, we can we can figure out who's the Frost producer. is probably second or third. With Harbaugh. Harbaugh <clears throat> first, Franklin and Frost, and then Fitzgerald Fleck. A lot of F names in there. Yeah. So Fleck is yesterday's news. Yeah. Braum might even be higher than Fleck based on Purdue. Wow. I think Frost's probably the top draw, actually, this time, just because... Over Harbaugh? Yeah, because Harbaugh, everybody's kind of had their Harbaugh experience. The Harbaugh thing's interesting because there's, like, pressure. Like, there's that year four, like, can he really get this done like he's supposed to? And I I wonder if he'll be a little bit surly, you know? Surly Harbaugh? Yeah. I'd be all right with that. Um, But I I think, uh, I think, National people have caught on with with Frost that, like, if you ask him about some big picture stuff in the game, like, he'll give a candid take on it. And it's definitely going to be different. And th- this was, it was kind of disturbing, like, how little people cared Mike Riley's first year, I thought. Didn't you? Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, and it, even after Nebraska had the, the decent season in 16, it just seemed like everybody was just kind of like, all right. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's Nebraska. That's how it's been the whole time, basically, in the Big Ten. I mean, the the one year you'd say that somebody got attention was Amir Abdullah mm-hmm. when he was going to be the keynote speaker, and he was kind. Everybody was kind of into his story. Yep. And he got some attention, but that's about it. You're yep. right, unless you go back to 2011 and the polo situation. <laughs> It wasn't really Polo Gate, but it was just interesting how different it is going from Big Twelve yeah. to Big Ten, where like Rex Burkhead, Jared Crick, and Levante David show up in Dockers and a Polo shirt, and then the next day they're in pretty nice suits. That Man, that was a pretty good crew. Yeah, you just named off there. Yeah, that's a that would you'd have to go. We should like make a list sometime of guys that have been sent to media days and like, what was the most talented crew that has ever gone to media days? Yeah. I, I mean, that's gotta be pretty far up there. I would guess. Levante is top, top level. Rex is pretty high. And then Jared Crick's solid. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good trio. We're talking about great trios that have gone to media. Days. That <laughs> that's been where we've worked this too. <laughs> First year of the, the big 10, right? Yeah. yeah that is really good. That's uh, Nebraska hasn't exactly sent super fascinating people in recent years. Was it so? The fourteen would have been Amir, Kenny Bell, and who was the third one that year? Hmm. Somebody had defense. Yes, I don't know who it was. Yeah, but Will Compton went one year and was really good. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> I knew that wasn't going to be interesting. It was the minute I started talking about it, so 
Is there, <laughs> is there anything that you're hoping to learn at Big Ten Media Days? Because it has been a while since we've heard from Scott Frost about a number of topics. Well, I mean, I... I mean, last we left him, it was after the spring game. No, I would much. actually like to hear from Frost on the two newcomers, um, Vaha and Jackson. He hasn't really talked about them much. He has not. And so the process of which they went about identifying those guys, spe- you know, specifically choosing them, uh, and then bringing him in, how he feels like they're going to be able to help out, you know, that kind of thing jumps out to me as something he hasn't really had to discuss much. Uh, what else is, you know, just generally where he feels like the program is at going into August would be kind of curious too. I mean, he'll be coming off of having some data about how the summer conditioning went, where guys are at, general health status. I mean, we haven't heard about any injuries at this point. I think that there'll be some guys that he can shed some light on as to where they're at physically heading into fall camp too, coming off of injuries. So I think those are some things uh, that I would be curious about him touching on, you know, at Big Ten Media Days. But there's no, there's no like major thing. It's all just kind of general maintenance. Yeah, it's well, and it's one of those. I'm curious for kind of the bigger picture things aside from you know obviously injuries and stuff like that. I mean, he hasn't talked about the change in in college coaching, um, not college coaching. Sorry, um, just the the redshirt rules, how they're going to approach that because that's going to be fascinating. That's a good question, yeah. especially in a, a transition year. Yeah, and I think you're going to hear a lot of coaches after Larry Fedora's like football is under attack thing they're gonna get asked about like the future of the game and i don't know if frost has talked a lot about that like where he sees it or what you know but he'll he's a guy who stuff like that he'll have an interesting opinion he thinks about things like that i think more than a lot of coaches yeah well and i i mean the transfer stuff you know from the um the spring i mean he gave a pretty honest answer about that i mean i I, I would fully expect that he would talk about that if asked. I think Mick and Stanley will both be pretty interesting. Talk Mick talking about himself in a way and like how his body feels and what it's going to take, you know, to, to get like a good season of health here and, and be that guy who can be a rock in the middle. But also like, you know, what he sees out of like Damian Daniels in the future and trying to build those guys up. And Stanley, I think, his position's fascinating with all you know, with Mike Williams and John Woodyard, and it'll just be worthwhile hearing him talk about like what does that do for him? You know, when you have you've added these speed weapons, and how can that change the game for him? Because the first thought is like, okay, there's more talent now, or more guys that's going to take away some catches and yards from him, but maybe not. I mean, maybe it opens up, you know, better matchups for him, and and he takes advantage of it. So, I with, with Mick Stoltenberg, one of the things I would love to find out is what he feels like he missed by not being able to practice much in the spring. Because one of the things, and, and I've been kind of the low guy on Stoltenberg. I didn't have him in my... Kind um, of? I've been the low guy on Mick Stoltenberg. We've clarified that. Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I didn't have him in my... Um, my rundown of indispensable Huskers. I'm not 
expecting that he's going to be able to play a full season in part because I don't know if he's going to be able to practice each week too. And so I'm curious like how open and honest he's going to be about where things are for him health-wise because he hasn't had to deal with a practice in which you're running 100 plays or whatever and having to hold up and do that in the tempo, having to rush back to be on the line of scrimmage for that next play, having you know, I mean, giving no break and no rest to knee and knee cartilage that has undergone a lot in his time. And so uh, I'm very curious. I thought, I thought it was fascinating they chose for him to be here in Chicago because I, I'm, I'm very curious what his season's going to look like. And I think he's going to, to give a lot of playing time to, to whether it's Peyton Newell, to Vaha, to Damian Daniels. Um, and, and I would love, you know, how open he's going to be with this, how open he can be. I mean, a lot of it's unknown. You don't know how you're going to hold up. I mean, I'm sure he feels great here on July 19th, but what about August 19th? Two and a half, three yeah. weeks in. I mean, he is – I wouldn't call him an X factor because they could win without him. But it would be a big deal to me if he's able to play all 12 games. Mm-hmm. I think that would be big for Nebraska. <clears throat> do, you, do you anticipate that he won't play as much as he did last year? <clears throat> yeah, I think he's going to play less. I mean, I, I think that his knee is probably in worse shape coming into this year than it – I mean, he didn't, he didn't sit out all of spring last year. He was he was playing in the spring game. He didn't start missing practices until they got into the season, basically. So it's just a. I feel really bad for Mick. He's a great kid. I think he's a good football player. It's just that the the challenge of being able to do what he wants to do in the middle of a defensive line at six foot five, two hundred and ninety pounds, whatever he is, puts so much stress and wear and tear on that knee. Um. I'll just be very curious as to where he's at with things and, and his mindset going into the fall. Because I was curious about this. I, I looked this up after you said this after a podcast once. I was surprised at how many snaps he played last year. Yeah. He played a lot, but he also didn't practice most of the year. Right. And I, what I'm saying is, is I think that they can be smarter with him during practices yeah. too. Where Well, and they have more people that they're probably going to be comfortable with. Right. And I think Mike Dawson – is more and this is easy to say because I haven't had to watch him coach, but I think he's going to be more willing to rotate in this instance than Garrett or Garrison than Perella was last year. Yeah, Mick, Mick played 495 snaps last year, which is second most, third most among defensive linemen. Carlos Davis was first, followed by Freedom, who played 18 more snaps than. Yeah. But with Vaha, with Newell, with Damian Daniels, and I mean Daniels I fully expect to be the number two guy or 1B to Mick Stoltenberg's 1A by the end of the season, you've got guys that, I mean, maybe he's only going to be playing 45, 50 snaps in a, in a game. And that's going to be good for him if right. that's the case. Right. Especially if there's no drop-off in, in that defense. The other story here is you've got three seniors who I'm sure are hearing everybody say <clears> – <throat> Seven and six, you know, if they go seven and six, uh, that'd be nice, you know, kind of building block. And on the outside, that's easy to say that. 
if you're within a program at Nebraska and you came to Nebraska and this is your last year, seven and six probably doesn't sound all that uh, appealing. Right. You know, and so I'm interested in how they how they measure success or what they set as like true goals, like realistic goals, knowing this is their last season, but also knowing it's a tough schedule and transition years aren't hard. I mean, I don't expect them to give much ground on that and say like, yeah, we're going to go eight and five or whatever. But um, that's an interesting dynamic to me, like seniors kind of understanding the big picture of it. You know, when, when you want to go out a winner, you want to go out a champion and maybe that's not in the cards. So you're gonna ask, how does it feel that everybody's already looking forward to 2019? Well, yeah, I mean, in a way, in a way, like some of those, like a Mick Stoltenberg would probably get be able to answer that too, like because he gets it. He, you know, here I he's I just think he would understand that. But um, Stanley and Ger- Gerald, you know, Lincoln kid would understand that really well too. So I, I I I'd like to hear what they say about that kind of stuff. Shrug, nod. Schaefer's like just he can handle that story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I'm just doing the brunts. I don't have anything to add to it. So I'm just gonna sit in silence. So we're gonna ask Stanley Morgan, how does it feel that everybody's looking towards twenty nineteen? Schaefer's gonna ask McStoltenberg, how does it feel <laughs> that I'm doubting you? I'll phrase it different than that. Get him out of here. How get does him it out feel that some are doubting you? Yeah. We're gonna get escorted out of the building. <laughs> have you heard your critics? Do you know who they are? Right here, me, <laughs> this guy. Well, like I said, I, I hope that I'm completely wrong. I just, <clears throat> I don't think you're a critic of his game. You just don't know if his health's going to hold up. Right. Yeah, I think that if he's healthy, he gives him the best mm-hmm. shot in the middle of that line. Yeah, for sure. But I don't, I don't know. And then I don't know if there's a diminishing point of return. Honestly, maybe you guys disagree. I don't know how much it matters if he doesn't practice during game week. If he knows what he's supposed to be doing and he's physically able, because so few of your practices are heavy during game week, anyways. Mm-hmm. Does uh, I mean does does the practice schedule they're going to use with basically being done practicing on Wednesday morning? Pretty much. Does that help? I think that I helps. think it helps. Yeah. yeah. So maybe my concerns are, you know, overplayed to begin with. So if he's able to get through multiple games and he's not able to do a Tuesday practice every year or every week, is it that big of a deal? Maybe not. And maybe that's good for somebody like Damian Daniels who's getting important reps mm-hmm. that he's maybe not getting necessarily during the live bullet game period, but he's getting a ton of them during practice. Yeah. Well, and I mean, at that spot too, you've got Vaha who is coming off of a pretty major foot injury, hasn't played defense ever in college. I mean, they're probably going to have to be careful with a number of those guys while also bringing them along. I mean, it's, it's kind of a delicate balance, I think. Yeah, <clears throat> it's also why Carlos Davis is as important as anybody because he can do everything on that D line. Can move him inside. Do you, if you had to rely on Carlos and Khalil Davis at that nose tackle spot, do you think they could hold up there? Yeah, I think Carlos could. I don't know that. It, I wouldn't guess it's his probably strongest position or maybe his favorite spot, but I could I could see him him handling that. The. Uh... Because that group to me is is interesting to see how they're going to go through the Big Ten schedule um, with the way it's set up, where 
you know, Wisconsin is going to be dang good up front. I mean, I think Michigan's going to challenge them similarly. Um, you know, Ohio State's going to be a challenge. That, that, that group to me, there's a lot of guys who I think I asked us on the, on the board this week of kind of who's going to be this year's Barry Turner, mm-hmm. that guy that, you know, maybe later in their career based on a coaching change or whatever kind of comes out of nowhere and looks pretty good. I mean, I, I think freedom could be that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I think that, Deshaun Neal is another guy that seems to definitely be energized by this coaching change um, as a potential guy. Schaefer's shaking his head. Um, so I don't know. I, I think there's possibilities there that will, you know, could kind of come out of nowhere and help this year. Why were you shaking your head? Your, I don't know if it was related to your ear. Who's my ear? Okay. Earache. It's gone. Well, not really. It's still there. It just sits there. Gotcha. Not a whole lot you can do with that. Um, I'm trying to, when you asked that question, I was trying to think of who else might fit that scenario. Um, maybe Cole Conrad, in a way. I mean, he takes over at the interior, and whether it's guard or center, uh, and he's just rock solid. I mean, you don't have statistical things you do as much with the offensive lineman. I mean, I don't know what the pancake equivalent of a Barry Turner senior season would be, but if he gives them a boost there and just rock steady production, that would be a pretty big win for Nebraska too. How about like an Antonio Reed? Yeah. You know, uh, I, every, everybody always glosses over him. You know, they're, and sometimes we talk about, oh, some newcomers might beat him out, be next to Aaron Williams. I don't know. Antonio Reed, you know, pretty big hitter, <clears throat> has never really had a chance to string a bunch of games together. There's always been something that kind of popped up, injury or something else, and so maybe this is where it happens. There's a lot of guys like that, really, and if they could get a few of them to hit pretty well, you know, this final year, that changes the whole kind of the outlook. You know, that's, that's maybe another winner, so. Reed kind of has to, right? I mean – Probably Aaron Williams is his health is in question going into fall camp. He's going to be an interesting guy to ask about in yeah. Chicago. Not a ton of depth there. Um, I mean, it, Deontay Williams, I mean, is in the mix. Yeah. But I mean, Antonio Reed is the guy that, you know, you, you need him to take that step forward because of – I think he gets overlooked a little bit too, but he was productive at times last year on a defense that, frankly, wasn't that productive at all. Reed was huge in that Oregon game in the second half. I mean, he came up into the box. He made big plays in the run game. He stopped Royce Freeman a little bit. He forced that fumble, I want to say. Uh, I, I think that he could be one of the breakout guys in an aggressive defense like this. I just I've always felt like there is more to him or more to what he could do than what we've seen so far and and maybe that comes to fruition here his senior year and his last go around. Well, that whole group back there has never had any continuity at all. I mean, Aaron Williams the list of coaches, he's not he didn't even redshirt a year. He's just a fourth-year senior and he's had like six or seven safeties coaches if you count like who he committed to. Right. I mean, it's in well, there's been, what, nine defensive backs or safeties coaches since 2010? Yeah, since Marvin Sanders, it's just been like every almost every year with an ex- one or two exceptions where a guy maybe lasted two years. 
It's can a, you can you guys name all of them? I only can because I had to. I I posted it on the board the other day because it's like. So you so you go Sanders, Corey Raymond, Terry Joseph. who was there for two years, which he's him and Brian Stewart are kind of the the long guys. Uh, after after uh, Terry Joseph, it went to Charlton Warren. Charlton Warren. Oh, don't help him. Charlton Warren briefly under Mike Riley, which then went to Brian Stewart, which then went to Bob Elliott and um, Williams. Yeah. Um, and then Scott Booker in there as well. And uh, now finally to Travis Fisher, who I believe is not mixed nine in uh, since 2010. Did you count Banker? Yeah, I was wondering on that one. Because oh, he coached safety. That's true, yeah. So, and when Stewart moved to only corners after his first year. That's right. Banker then. So And then Dante Williams was floated into that group so, too. So Aaron Williams in his four years, he was recruited by Charlton Warren. That's why they, they love Charlton yeah. Warren. That helped get him here Mm -hmm. and then he's had like yeah he's had like six coaches when you count banker as one of them yeah who there was another guy that graduated that with the way he had lined up maybe like bose joseph i think because he was like at the front the the back end of the terry joseph era he like basically got that whole the whole shebang of that group more more coaches and plays yeah pretty much Defensive plays for sure. You know what? Good on him. He got his degree. Yeah, and he had his little moment of fame whenever uh, he was sitting in front of Mike Riley at that Nebraska basketball game. Buzzer beater. D. Riley freaks out, and there's Bose Joseph filming everything on his phone. Nice. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, because everybody's like, "Who's that in front of Mike Riley?" And I was they like, "Thought oh. it was a recruit." Yeah, it's like, "Oh, that's Bose Joseph. That guy looks pretty big." Yeah. Wonder if he's a junior <laughs> college guy. Think he could play? Yeah. He's been on the roster for five years. He was a kind of a humorous fellow too. It, I remember I did a kind of a big feature on him, a guy as just a guy who stuck with it, and he was being told by one of the <clears throat> uh, media relations guys that he was requested for an interview, and I heard him go, "He wants to talk to me," <laughs> <laughs> and I just got a real kick out of that. So we uh, we've made it almost to the end of the dead period. Um, after the dead period, Nebraska can again start hosting unofficial visitors. What should we expect over the uh, between basically the 24th and the start of fall camp? Uh, well, they can host visitors for a week. As soon as it hits August, it's back to being dead. Right. Um, so I think that you'll see some, some guys make it to campus. Uh, I don't really have any great specifics at the moment. There's going to be a group that comes out of St. Louis. Alan True wrote about a cornerback that uh, Nebraska's keeping an eye on that transferred from Los Angeles to St. Louis, and he's part of the Cardinal Ritter crew that there might be a few of those guys. Uh, Jamison Williams, a wide receiver, also goes to that school. Uh, Corey Coleman, wide receiver, also goes to their Cam Coleman. Cam Coleman. Corey Coleman played for Baylor, now plays for the Browns. He's not coming to visit. He's not visiting. Though he might get more playing time in Nebraska than in Cleveland at the moment, which is remarkable in its that's own way. That's true. But uh, so you've got those guys coming in. A lot of the visits that I've been hearing and, and been writing about have actually been official visits for early in September. You have Taiwan Mullen coming in for that first game. You have Jamel Starks coming in for the second game. 
You've got other defensive backs. Uh, Josh Sanguinetti probably coming in the first month, looking Purdue perhaps for him. There's some other DBs to keep an eye on out of Arizona. There's uh, Noah Pola Gates. He's going to be coming in for a visit in the fall. I, I just think that they've got a pretty big crew of, of defensive backs that will be rolling through. That's just one of those positions where they couldn't use the the OVs early, so they got to use them in the fall, and we'll see kind of where that lines up. I think Nebraska could have two commitments in the first two weeks if everything goes well with Mullen and Starks, um, both of which aren't highly rated on 24-7 sports but are top targets for Nebraska's defensive backboard. So I had a recruiting piece this week that I was curious if you guys had a chance to look at. I ranked the class as to how I would slot them 1 through 11. Uh, Did you see anything in there that you thought this guy's off his rocker? Which, I mean, isn't unusual for me. Um, Any any quibbles, any contentious back and forth that you would like to have here? I see Brooks is getting reared up. That was on our website. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm kidding. I read it. I mean, it's the only website I write for. True. Um, I go on everybody's show and do everyone else's podcast, but I only write for one site. Well, we appreciate and that's Husker 24 seven. We appreciate the exclusivity. Um, you know, I'm all about exclusive. Yes. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take another look at your list, BC. If you're ready to go, go ahead. Yeah, Ronald Tompkins, number one. I do. And Jackson Hanna, two, Desmond Bland, three, McCaffrey, four. I don't have a big problem with the top four. I, I You could, I think, the top three I like a lot, and I think you could put them in about any, any order. order there. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Desmond Bland guy. Maybe it's because I happen to do a couple stories on him, and so there's like a bias there, you know, where you talk to a kid and you get to kind of like him. Um but I, I kind of bought into, I mean, th- that power program, which is becoming very good in Nebraska, Arizona Western with Greg Bell and, and Woodyard and other guys in the past. Um, they produce guys that usually hold up pretty well at this level. And his coach, who's won a lot of games there, swears that he's an NFL center. Now, Desmond Bland did say, his own words in a quote, I got to do put the work in in the classroom. And we didn't get into all the specifics, but obviously that's going to be something that to keep an eye on. So that'll be huge. I uh, the, the guy that I was kind of when I was looking at your list that I was like eh, maybe I'd put him a little bit higher. I think Jamie Nance is. A I guy, didn't know what to do with Jamie Nance. Like you look at the speed. I mean he's a he's a ten five hundred guy. Right. Long jumps twenty three feet. I just I. But how many wide receivers would you put Jamie Nance over and that they took in the 2018 class? See, but that's tough because, you know, I it's not really fair to the JUCO guys, to compare to the JUCO guys. I mean, right. I, I think that he's undervalued um, from a ratings point of view. I think he was probably overlooked a little bit. Um, I definitely think he's a guy that could be rated. Yeah. I just know when I was looking at the, the grouping of this, it's easier for me to put him towards the back because they brought in quite a few wide receivers. Uh, and I just, there's some guys that I just happen to like more that are maybe even not going to be re-ranked. I would probably, I would probably 
move Nance up. I would probably, um, just looking at the list here, I think I would move Matt Anderson down a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think Anderson's got the frame, like you said. I think that that's definitely intriguing, but I, I think that the the talent that they've collected at certain positions, especially on offense, probably deserves to be ranked a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm thinking Ramir Johnson, too. Schaefer's got him at eight. I would probably put Ramir Johnson a little bit ahead of Thomas Grayson right now. How about Ethan? He had Ethan Piper sixth among the 11 commits. I. I'd maybe put Ethan Piper even higher. I just think he's one of those like in-state kids that's you that they feel rock solid about. Like you know he's going to come in here and just be the kind of worker you want, and right. he's going to be that guy. He I, the thing about Piper that's intriguing, and I was curious to see where Schaefer was going to put him because I think he and I think somewhat similarly about this. You know, he shows up at 285 pounds at Nebraska's camp this summer. Mm-hmm. Jumps 30 inches, um, looks like he had put in a lot of work in the weight room. Um, I, I think that he's going to be a guy who is probably not going to be rated as highly by recruiting analysts as he should be just because he committed early, had the Nebraska offer. I, I think he would have gotten more attention um, had he not committed so early. Yeah. Um, in, in looking at the list too, I mean, Luke McCaffrey's tough for me. I mean, I know that he's he's going to be a little bit of a project at quarterback because we don't know how he's going to perform. He hasn't had to start at Valor yet, um, and 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 that's the one that I I I agree he probably needs to slide down a little bit just based on what we've seen from him so far. Quarterback's always hard too because there's only one spot on the field, and right. if a freshman starts this year and does pretty well. You always wonder about like the guys in the next two classes, as good as they may be, is he going to be good enough to like take out whoever takes the job, or is he going to have to sit around three or four years, which most guys aren't willing to do, you know? One of the reasons I feel comfortable with McCaffrey that high is that I think that he is willing to to wait around because he really wants to play in this offense and he wants to play for Reduzco, and so if, if he can stomach waiting a few years i mean he would still end up with two full years of being the starter by the time someone were to graduate if it is a freshman that takes the job this year so uh, i think that that combined with his athleticism the family name certainly plays a little bit into it the pedigree uh he just intrigues me a lot and so i i admit that mccaffrey could probably slide down the board um easily because he hasn't done as much as some of these other guys on that list uh, and then, you know, Brunts was mentioning Ramir Johnson, too. And I, with, with Ramir and with Jamie Nance, I mean, some of it was just who else is in that room I end up having to put higher. And, uh, you know, and I'm also just kind of high on the projectability of, of Piper and Anderson. So I have them bumped a little bit higher, too. So I, I actually found it to be a lot tougher exercise mm-hmm. this year when I've done it than when I have in previous Julys because they're – there feels like there's a lot of guys that are in the same sort of tier of yeah. talent. Yeah. And so then it's, you know, the difference between 11 and 4 isn't as stark as what it seems on paper. Yeah. Just to make it clear to the listeners, after your top four, you had Grayson 5, Piper 6, Matt Anderson 7, Ramir Johnson 8, Garrett Nelson 9, Jamie Nance 10, Snodgrass 11. Nelson, 
I think it's fair to put him where he is, but he he's one of those. He's kind of a mystery to us because he's he's way out there, you know. Yeah. He's just kind of out of view. He's playing Class B, but he's also playing Class B out west, so it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. The way he's used is going to be different than what he's used in high school. I mean, he's got the terrific background as a as a wrestler. Uh, you know, he's got the leadership skills that you would want. He's got the work ethic you would want. It's just a matter of it manifesting itself at the Power 5 level at Nebraska. He's just, you'd have to say, though, and this does matter, he's just, like, on fire to play football. Yeah. I mean, he, like, some guys are just good at football, and they get a scholarship, and then there's the guys who are good at it and actually love it, too, and just, and he's that sort of guy, so that's an advantage for him. Yeah, he was really good at Nebraska, at the big man camp especially, um, where he was working out as a defensive end. So, um, you know, that that to me was – you know, pretty, pretty, uh, a good indication, I think, of how his skills are going to transfer to that outside linebacker position. Cause he was, he was pretty much unblockable, but he was doing it from a three point stance as a defensive end. And he, he's like looked specifically at Stilly as like kind of the model. Yeah. You know, like I can, like last year, how Stilly was an outside backer and now he's putting his hand in the dirt and going to be on the D line. I think he sees the same progression when he gets to Nebraska. So he's at least got like a picture of what he wants to do. Got anything else? No, I think that we are probably, uh, we, we hit on everything. We, we did as much we as got. we could in, in We didn't July. get to, Brian talked with Luke Gifford a little bit if you wanted to talk about that some. Um, otherwise, we could save it for the podcast that's next week, but that'll be after Big Ten Media Days, so we'll have plenty. It's kind of up to well, you. Well, no, we can, we can hit on that quick. I, I think he... Um, the thing I like about Luke is he's one of those guys who, when he says something about a certain player or something, you kind of, I take a, put a little more into it. Cause I just think he's, he's that type of kid who's trustworthy with his opinions. And so when he drops stuff like Lamar Jackson's having a great off season and being a leader, that kind of stood out to me. Um, and then there was that line. And we talked about it earlier this week, Schaefer, where he s- said if they hadn't switched to that 3-4, you know, he doesn't know if he would have ever caught on here, basically. Um, like, he felt a little out of place in the 4-3 and didn't feel like he had a home. And so as bad as that year was last season for this football team and embarrassing for that defense, individually, it it was what Luke Gifford needed. And... He's traveled an interesting career. I mean, he started as a defensive back. His first game on the field was BYU, and he was on the field when they threw the Hail Mary, and he ended up, like, in the bottom of the pile. There's, like, a picture of him below, like, seven BYU guys celebrating with, like, his arms out. And, like, he can laugh about that stuff now and kind of see the humor in it. But it's been a tough road and one that – where he had to really challenge himself last year where he said it's now or never for me. And a lot of guys, when they face that, it ends up being never. And he actually is the other story there where he came and dominated and was probably their best defender till he got hurt. He's the guy that, from a leadership point of view, I think is really key. I think when you look at that outside linebacker position where you've got a lot of guys um, that I think can play, I mean, since he didn't practice in the spring, you don't know how he's going to fit into this. But, you know, when he was in the game last year, I think he played seven games. 
I mean, is it fair to say that he was Nebraska's best defender at, at times? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a stretch to say that. No, I think he was. I mean, the the way they used him too, there was a he was the one guy I felt like where Diaco had confidence in, like to yeah. use him with some aggressive stuff. Like they would send him on some some fire blitzes, really, where he would. I mean, he just tore through there and was always just kind of like a half second behind making a play in a lot of those cases but um i don't know and he was he was a good guy at like dropping back and like in the spring game he had that pick with one hand and um he he's a good athlete so i i think i think he's going to be one of the most important guys on this team that position is fascinating because there's like six guys who are kind of all muddled together tyron ferguson had a really good spring it sounded like Breon Dixon is fascinating to people, but I don't think we know exactly. Is he like an every down type of guy? Is he a niche guy this year? You just don't know yet where he's at. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too. I mean, you like what's going to be, you know, how much are they going to rotate at that spot? I mean, they have the guys it seems like to do it, but um, I, I don't know. It'll be, is, did you get into him with like health and where he's at and, because he, he had a pretty serious injury. He did. He had that hip injury, and it, it took him out of the spring. And he's been back since they arrived back for summer conditioning. And I said, okay, when it comes to football, that's a different animal. Are you, are you good to go when camp starts? He said, oh, yeah. So, I mean, he feels like he's – and he feels like he has something to prove. Because um, as Eric Chenander said, and this wasn't meant in a bad way, but he said, I've heard a lot about Luke Gifford, and I like him you know, he's a great kid, but I haven't seen it myself and I have to see it. So in a way, Luke's in that spot where as good as he was and as much as like some of us think of him, he's got to go take it away from some guys now again and show that he's the man, you know, because Tyron Ferguson's been sitting in this program three or four years and wants to make it happen now too. So um, the way Gifford said it is if you're a top program competing for championships, that's the way it should be. You should have a spot where there's like five or six guys and you have to fight like heck to win a job. That's that's how it goes. All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps everything up for us today here with the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. As always, you can check out everything at Husker 24-7. We should have plenty of coverage oh, from yeah. Big Ten Media Days. Brian is already furiously working on previews and all of that great stuff for one of the most fascinating events that any media member could ever cover. It's right up there with Pro Day, isn't it? Oh, boy. Oh, that's tough. (laughs) We'll have to make a list and rank that next week (laughs) on the podcast as we discuss Nebraska football and everything that goes along with it. We'll catch you next week.